Hey, before you hang up, say this. Sure. This is Steve Pavlina, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer. Do you want me to say it like that? <laughs> you say it, say it how Steve says it. Okay. This is Steve Pavlina, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer. Perfect. Good. There Thanks, you go. brother. Later. Okay. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Dr. Joni Connell, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer. How's it going? It's going well, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great. And thank you again for, uh, for hanging out with me and, and having a little chat. Okay, so um, your website is called FlexibleWorkSolutions.com. You know that. I'm telling everybody out there listening. Uh, um, and, you know, you're, you're helping folks... Um, organizations, parents, uh, and I guess people just looking to change their jobs um, and doing some real interesting work now. But yep. back in the day, you went, you were, you know, obviously like everybody else, uh, most folks, you went to college, you went to high school, and you have a real interesting story because you went to Harvard. And that sounds like, you know, really cool. What was that like? I don't know if it was cool. I remember it now. <laughs> and maybe it wasn't. That's it wasn't cool. Everybody thinks I mean, it was cool. I remember walking through Harvard Yard on a Friday night. You could hear a pin drop. It wasn't like we were partying and such. Ah, but I see. Uh, it was a good education. It was a great education. And uh, I studied engineering there, which wow. is something which ends up coming up in my life story here. But uh, my parents told me in no uncertain terms that, Four years at Harvard, that was as much money as they were going to spend on me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't ask much more, right? Right. (laughs) So I had to have a a degree that I could do something with upon graduation. Uh, 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 Yeah. Engineering is one of those, right? Okay. Well, you know what? Let's back up a little bit because Harvard, the, the hard part is getting in, right? So you must have been one of those. That's just crazy. Is there a story behind how somebody decides that that's what you want to do as a high school student? Well, actually, this is kind of the opposite of what's going on today with parents getting so involved. I just wanted to go. I I grew up in Cambridge. I grew up a mile away from Harvard. Wow. Yeah. I used to walk through Harvard Yard every day on the way to high school. And I loved it. It was beautiful. The buildings, the libraries were just amazing. And I thought, this is a place where I'd really like to go. And I I came home from school one day and I told my parents I was going to apply to Harvard. And they both were like, really? (laughs) You know, like, know, like, first thing there is like, well, how much is going to cost? And yeah, uh, said, no, no worries. They have financial aid. And uh, my parents were a little skeptical, but they said, well, you know, if you think you can get in. So it was really all on me. And I was just a very driven kid, you know, and 
I just loved to learn and I was very active and had, I think, an interesting childhood, traveled a lot with my my dad who brought us to Africa, Central wow. America, all sorts of places. So perhaps and you had it, a, a yeah. Harvard level resume as a as a high school kid. I probably did by today's terms, right? but by those days it was just like uh, you know I was who I was, you know, and yeah, I get um, it. Yeah, I did it, gave it my best shot, and and got in. I think by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? That's awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's pretty amazing. You know, um, whenever you do it. Now, now that you're talking about Harvard Yard, the only thing I can think of is click and clack the Tappet Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Car Talk Plaza. So, right. did you ever run into those guys? Uh, no, but I've listened to them. I've never. Show? Run into them. <laughs> <laughs> My job is just to laugh, like the the brother that that p- passed away about a year ago mm-hmm. on my mm-hmm. show. That's yeah. the role that I like to play. I'm not the smart one. I just show up and try to be humorous <laughs> occasionally <laughs> and let the guest be the smart one. Oh, at least it's a good time. There you go. That's yeah. <laughs> Key is you have to be entertaining first. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So you spend four years in Harvard and you end up with a degree in what sort of engineering? Well, there is called engineering sciences. And okay. so I did electrical engineering was really what it was. I specialized in electrical engineering. And having gone to school a mile from home and lived in the snow and cold for all my life, I pretty much got as far away as possible and moved to Silicon Valley. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a big veer. You know, wow. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. And I'd never been to California before. Uh, the first time I was there was during a job interview. And I flew in. And the flight was delayed. It was about 1 in the morning. I just remember arriving. And it was balmy. And there were flowers everywhere. And I just <laughs> fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. And It, it kind of reminds me of the first time uh, I, went, when I was in the Air Force. And I was stationed in Hawaii for a while. And that was, have you ever been to Hawaii? Yes, I have. You know what it's, so are you familiar with, they, they make, they do this on purpose, right? As soon as you land and get off the plane, you can smell flowers forever. That to me is one of the most amazing things. I flew there the yeah. first time going to Australia and I never forget my layover as being one of the most pleasant experiences Right, ever. right, right, right. <laughs> I know. It's just like if you were at all stressed from that plane ride, I mean, they put flowers around your neck. So, I mean, that's the right. the uh, the end-all, be-all of, well, they're going to smell flowers. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually in the air as well, you know? So, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, so you get a job in Silicon Valley. Um, talk a little bit about that. What, what, what sort of job did you get? It was a fabulous job. It was, this was back in 87. Aha, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, and it was right when Silicon Valley was really starting to blossom. Right. And I worked that, for... It was like, let's... A little bit. Like, there were no cell phones. There were barely computers. Uh, well, they, that was back in the P, uh, IBM ATXT. We hadn't even gotten to Windows 95 yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so yes. the, the, right. the next piece of the story is I worked for Tandem Computers, which tandem. built mainframes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Tandem, <laughs> not Tandy. Tandem. Right. Tandem. 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 Okay. Parallel processors that 
ran, for example, the New York Stock Exchange so that if anything happened to the computer, there was always another one running the same exact thing at the same time so oh, that right, right. it wouldn't ever go down. That's like a, a dual core processor in my cell phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, it took up several rooms, though, right? Right, right, right. Okay, sorry. I keep interrupting. Keep talking about your job. Well, it was a great job. Tandem Computers, although it's not that well-known, it was kind of like an HP. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like a Google is today. You know, we had swimming pools. We had great cafeterias. Ooh. I mean, you know, it was just this wonderful place. And mm. I had this really nice job back when there were offices. And... I had an office mate. We had two people per office, and it was it was a really good place to be. I made decent money. I had a, uh, an apartment and was living a good life. What was the job like? Now, let me just rewind because uh, I graduated high school in '87, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had in my high school in Michigan an IBM System 36, which was considered a mini computer. <laughs> Which it, uh, man, I can't even describe what the size of it was, but it was, hmm, hmm. I'm trying to think of maybe like two or three air conditioning units all in one under one <laughs> plastic thing, <laughs> right? That was yeah. considered mini, <laughs> right? Anyway, um, so what was your job like working on mainframes? What, what, what was the job like? I mean, were you punch cards or floppy disks? Not disc that packs? old. <laughs> Dis, the disc packs, right? Is that what those were? Those uh, just, Yeah, tapes. I was working on large uh, boards, circuit boards. Oh, okay. And there were slots in the big mainframes, and you would put it in the slot. Right. And I, I did data communications, which was making connections between the mainframe and modems. Right. That, go outside you know and so that was really what I was working on and and helping improve the communications there and getting circuit boards created to do that so it was a hardware engineering job I would work a lot in the lab and with soldering irons and testing things with all sorts of equipment and uh, seeing if where the bugs were and the you know, in the boards and yeah, testing yeah. with different equipment and also on the computer a lot in, in the office, um, doing a lot of design and, and that kind of work. So that was, it was pretty isolating work. It was pretty, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. right. with the computers and I, it wasn't a lot of teamwork, you know, I didn't end up just by chance doing a lot of teamwork. I ended up getting projects which were kind of small, so I would just do them on my own. Right. And, you know, so... It it was a great job, but I wasn't really that happy. It wasn't a great fit, right? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of, uh, no, I know exactly what you mean because I do IT, you know, like low-level mm-hmm. help desky customer support stuff right now. But usually, you know, I, I, did, I, I have done a lot of tech jobs, but I really like working with people more than... Mm-hmm. Then I do machines. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what where I was at. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I can sympathize and empathize. Yeah, right. I can tell you. I just remember we used to have at the time monthly staff meetings. I mean, not even weekly, but just Jeez. once per once a month. Right? You'd get in. Okay. Yeah, we'd get the whole um, the whole department in. I think there were about twelve of us in a room, and the manager would essentially go around the room and we'd all have to report in what we're doing. And as soon as we were done, 
the doors would burst open and it was like well, school's out. <laughs> Everyone's running out of the room. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be there. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, I was very curious about that going, wow, this is so interesting how these folks that I'm working with are so energized by working with the computers and debugging and staying late to do all this work, yet they're so not interested in the interactions and they're yeah. not necessarily skilled at it either, where I was the opposite. Right. And so, you know, I was much more interested in the people and, you know, I, I was ready to leave at five because I had other things I wanted to do. Right, I didn't right. want to stay all evening and continue working. Right. And so... With all um, your friends, the machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've had, I had days, I still have days like that at work. Right. Yeah. And it's, see, now I've learned, and I know this isn't like a hardened stone, but these are just sort of like a general, uh, general things that people use to uh, type personalities. But like the extrovert type to me is somebody that gets energized by interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And then introverted folks are, again, in general terms, more like they're more energized by doing things uh, by themselves. Right. And then when they and it, obviously we both can do both. But, you know, the introvert would be spending a lot more energy and feeling depleted with the interaction. It's, it feels like more work to them. Yep. Is that is that similar to your experience? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you learned a lot in that job about you. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And okay. I, I learned a lot about myself. I also learned a lot about engineers as being really trained in the technical side, but not in the people side. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, that was kind of an early on, you know, we're talking about little signs that kind of were there, but not quite you know, visible yet to me about what I want to do in the future. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely feeling like it's leaning towards you want to work with people more than machines. That's what, that's right. what's, what's, what it's leaning towards. Okay. Right. Okay. So you spend how long there then? I was there for three years. Okay. Then I moved into another job in marketing because I thought I want to work more with people. Mm-hmm. And it was an applications engineering job, which is a job I could get because what, what applications engineers do is help salespeople and some of the customer service, you know, in, in the marketing department. Um, but it's really still very technical work, as it turned out. Right. <laughs> it's turned out to be very technical, and I still had to be an engineer, even though I was interacting with people. It was very centered on engineering and knowing all the details of how all these things worked, even if I wasn't designing them. Right, right, right. Now, uh, in that job, were you a little bit more like uh, an interface kind of? So you were sort of like a, you had the the engineering background, and then the sales and marketing folks were like saying, "Can we say this?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So we we didn't have as much interaction with it customers sometimes we go along with folks who are doing the sales but generally we're in the headquarters trying to yeah interface between the two yeah yeah okay well it, it at least it you're not alone right <laughs> yes so it's a step up yeah okay so at what point did you uh decide to go get a doctorate at uh, uc berkeley 
Okay. Is that way in the future? Do well, we not too far in the future? Okay. I I jobs one more time okay. to try to get even more people oriented, but okay. essentially doing the same kind of work. Right. And it was at that point I, I kept finding that I still had to be an engineer. With my background, people wanted me to be an engineer, and yeah. it was hard to get out of that. So I thought, what I really need to do is go back to school and get some different expertise so I can make a bigger jump. Right. And so that's when I decided to go back to graduate school. And, you know, I was thinking about business and psychology, and I thought, you know, I'm really interested in people and the way they interact. And back to the engineering days, looking at how people interact and how to improve communication, especially among technical people. And another piece that was interesting to me was how we interact differently face-to-face, on computers, and on the phone, and all these different ways of interacting, because that was kind of an emerging phenomenon at the right. time. Yes, yes, yes. So people yeah. with uh, being anonymous on social media and the internet, they feel a little right. bit more, I don't know, what a, <laughs> bold, <laughs> stupid. Yeah, bold, <laughs> to be a little more comfortable and reveal more, but right, also right. to not be more feel bad about too. yelling at someone. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Very yeah. So... Yeah, so I was interested in in combining those two a little bit and looking at the technology interface and the psychology. So that's what I ended up doing my dissertation on, as a matter of fact. Wow, interesting. So what sort of degree did you get? That was uh, psychology or occupational? Oh, Psychology. Psychology. It's a a PhD in psychology, and I was in the social psychology area specializing in organizational psychology. Gotcha. That makes sense. Because I think I've had a, a, another person who was in the, what did he call it? Like the development, organizational development field. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. something similar to what you're, what you're yep. working in now. Okay. Yeah, that's part of it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So you go out, you get your doctorate from yet another prestigious school. Good for you. Um, the, what was the first uh, job thing after that? Well, you want to hear something funny. I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I went back to an engineering company. <laughs> That's okay. That's yes, actually went... recommended, you know. Yeah. Uh, it is. I re- it was even in What What Color Is Your Parachute? Oh, uh-huh. that's not your book. Sorry, you're flying without a helicopter. But right, but what color is Yeah, great yeah. book. It is a great book, and I think I read it more than once, but they suggested that when you're doing a job change or a veer, like I like to say, um, it's smarter to change one thing. Let's say there's mm-hmm. two circles. One's your industry and one's your job. It's easier to change your one of those two uh, without changing the other one, because you already know people in the engineering world, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it kind of makes sense as that, obviously, uh, eventually down the road, you probably don't want to be involved in engineering anymore. I get that. Yeah. Because, I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> but it makes sense as a stepping stone, you know, to get your feet wet in an, uh, an in- industry that you already are familiar with. 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it worked out quite well in that regard. And it's kind of funny because a lot of people moved from Tandem Computers, which was my first job, to Cisco Systems when Tandem got bought out by Compaq. Ah, Cisco. That makes so much sense. So I was there and Ah. I knew people from my engineering days. Yeah. I had some folks that I had had worked with, but I didn't work with them anymore. They were still in the same company, but it was kind of a funny sort of turn. Well, Cisco became now they're they're all about routers and switches and yep right and long mm-hmm. haul and all that stuff mm-hmm. right. So you were sort of like back in the tandem days, you were sort of like laying the groundwork right for all of yep. what would become <laughs> a router and a yep. network interface card. Wow, yeah. Oh, this is like a a, a skipping down computer memory lane here. Networking. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that job at Cisco. What was that like? Was it different enough to be more fun? Yeah, it was very different. So I was doing work in human-centered computing. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, and that was really about the customer experience and how to make the hardware and software much more usable. We called it usability engineering, right? And... I was going around visiting customers and doing research to find out how they were using different products and then trying to set up new ways to make the products better suit their needs. And I ended up getting on a a product, I guess you'd say, that was used largely in Europe. And it was used around the U.S. too, but I was traveling 80% of the time. Mm, Right, right. Long story short. And it was... It was so much fun for me because I love to travel. That's always been my passion. But it wasn't a sustainable way of living. <laughs> it's just exhausting. Yeah. yeah. I remember flying in December 23rd and back out the 26th and oh, maybe <laughs> back for New Year's. I don't remember. And right. uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. I was doing a lot of really fun stuff. But... You know, and then something else came along, and that is uh, my husband and I wanted to have a baby. Mm-hmm. You need to and do I that. Thought, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, we want to have a baby. And, of you know, the clock is ticking, and we said, yeah, I, I can't really. You can't do this. Be and traveling that. 80% right. yeah. of the time. And we had also at that point moved up to San Francisco. And I was commuting, and my husband was commuting, and it was right in the heat of the dot-com era. The boom? The boom. The boom. The boom, boom and then the bust, right yeah, shortly there was, after. Yeah, there was, there was nothing, 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 and then bust. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. That was like the so, uh, 90s, right? Yeah, this was the end of the 90s. End this of the 90s, 2000, okay. Yeah, right in 2000, around that time. Yeah, so this is, I was at Cisco, and we were commuting, and I was traveling, and it was crazy, and we wanted to have a baby, and we wanted to buy a place. We were just living in a flat in San Francisco, which was lovely. It was it was mm. amazing, great mm. experience. But we found that, you know, it was really expensive, and... Mm-hmm. We started looking around at other places and saying, you know, it's a little bit crazy here. It's this, it's very congested. It's expensive. You can't get out, you know, the traffic to go away for the weekend. You're stuck. You know, you can't get into a restaurant because it's full, you know, all these things. And so right. looked for other places to live and ended up landing in San Diego. Oh, San Diego's uh, great. I love San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's where we're at now. And my husband's a lawyer, so he wanted to stay in California because he was licensed to practice in the state of California. Makes sense. And so 
Yeah, and so and he had an, his firm had an office down here. So I said, okay, no problem. So I moved down to San Diego, and I decided to take on a very different job, one where I thought I could have a lot more flexibility and uh, work not quite full time. And I went back to my psychology training at Berkeley and became a professor. Oh wow! Yeah, that, and that's like a one eighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to be honest with you, I never really wanted to be a professor because right. after being in the academic world, professors, they can be pretty hard on each other, you know? Right, and right. yes. I had another... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a... It's a rough herd to run in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 and I had I've already heard that been... from other guests. Right. Yes. Oh, interesting. Good. Okay, so you yeah. know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. Well, I took a job at California School of Professional Psychology, which is now part of Alliant International University, and it's a school for people who want to be consultants, not for people who want to be academics. So it's uh, and also they'd have a clinical arm for people who want to be a therapists, right? You right. know, mm-hmm. psychology. So it's mm-hmm. really a practical education, and it seemed like a great fit because there they wanted people who would do some consulting one day a week and do teaching in the other days, and I'd be working with graduate students who really want to get out there and work in the workplace. And so I took the job, and that again was a great fit for the time, and I ended up. We ended up getting pregnant much quicker than expected, and I had a baby, and uh, that made things challenging, you know. But uh, yeah, it's very challenging to be working so hard and doing all that. But I I made it uh, work out and stayed there for a while. Um, And I found that after a while there that they wanted to shift the focus of the program to be a lot more scholarly and, and academic and less in the consulting realm. Okay. And so that's when I decided to go out and consult on my own ultimately. And oh, okay. I, I stayed on as an adjunct and teaching for a while, but right. eventually just started consulting. So that's, that's where I'm at now. And that was about maybe 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Ooh. So you've been on your own for a while. Good for yep. you. Yay, yep. you made it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so now we can we can dive into what sorts of stuff you talk about with the different. You I mean you have a a wide range of people that you work with now, right? Yes, and that's for better or for worse because you know it's it's less of a niche, I suppose, but it's really interesting stuff, and I just have a hard time saying no and just limiting myself. Right. But, um, I started out doing a lot in the remote work and. Um, virtual teams, which I still do some of. Okay. You know, the flexible work comes out of that too. Right. Uh, again, merging those interests in, in the engineering and my background in, in my PhD program and looking at the different technologies and how they interact how, with p- the psychology and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I still teach classes in virtual teams and, and do oh, some wow. of that. And it comes up all the time anyways because most people are managing some sort of virtual work teams because they're working with people from different parts of the world and some of these issues still come up. But other things that have interested me there uh, are the flexibility as part also just because I wanted to have a flexible work and it sort of stemmed from some of the telecommuting and being able to have different hours. 
Um, but also just some basic of the the training that I had in my PhD program, which is leadership development and assessment. So mm-hmm. I companies hire their leaders and hopefully not fire, but sometimes <laughs> fire them, <laughs> but mostly develop them once they're right. in. Right. How to You're not them. one of the consultants from that, that goes no. in and, and fires people. Right. No, no I just wanted no. to, I, I, I already knew that. I just wanted to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't go You're in not there. one of the bobs, right. From office space. I think right. No, no, I, I'm right. trying to make them even better. And yeah, yeah. So I do that. A lot of the work that I do is with executives because that's where companies put their funding in, in this type of work. You know, it's, it's expensive to coach and to do this kind of assessment and, and training. And so I work with a lot of executives, but I was also finding that there were a lot of challenges the executives were going through with, with some of the younger people and the yeah. different generations. I had another, uh, another guest, uh, Brad Zollis, and he talks a lot about how to deal with millennials. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing, right? Yeah, no, I deal with that a lot. In fact, yeah. the the helicopter flying without a helicopter book is a lot. I mean, it's not is that, necessarily is the helicopter book. the the parent is that where you got Yes. Yes. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> helicopter parents. The helicopter And the whole parent. idea Yeah, is looking at what happens when f- the kids who have been helicoptered Yeah. get grow up and get to work and find that they don't have some of these basic life skills that they need to have to be successful. And so that's where the book came out of is working with people in the workplace and finding that there was this gap there and, and what are the frustrations and also having a kid and seeing how parenting had really shifted from when I grew up and uh, to the way kids are growing up today. Yeah. And, and you work with parents too, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. This, I work with parents, I work with young people mm-hmm. and educators, and also with the managers who are trying to figure out how to manage millennials and as well as themselves, yeah. So this brings up the, the big R word, the resilience. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that a big part of your work? It is. In fact, a lot of it is about resilience. And I can tell you firsthand from listening to some of the story, you might have realized I've had to have a lot of resilience of my own. Amen. To, you know, so these changes. Yeah, right, right. That's right. what the show is all about. It's like, yeah. you know, not every change in your life has to be a crisis. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's where, you know, you build in these these uh, these resilience systems, you know. So. What sort of things do you do you teach on that on that line? You know, um, what do you tell a kid who is you know getting ready to go or preparing to enter the workforce? Well, I I tell the same thing to pretty much everyone okay. at all levels, but really, it's you have to be able to learn how to make mistakes and have failures and pick yourself back up and stay positive and keep going. Right. Yes. Right. And so when it comes to young people getting out in the workplace and saying you're going to have some of these mistakes, you're going Mm. to have some failures, and you need to be strong and not let them just cripple you when you get there. And that's one of the problems that's coming up now is some of the folks who are getting in there who haven't had these, these barriers to overcome earlier on in their lives, they 
They haven't been up. devastated yet. Yeah, <laughs> right. They, yes, they they get devastated over small things. Right. You know, a manager gives them feedback and they burst into tears, or they quit. They right. run home. They have their parents call up, and I'm not joking. You know. No, no, I, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we are. Right. Uh, and, they get crushed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now, do you think that's that's part of the whole everybody there there are no losers? kind of syndrome is yep. that part of it okay yeah well that, yeah i think that when we were kids there it seemed like the our my parents anyway were a little bit more hands-offy as far as like letting me find my hierarchy within the kids right yep. the pecking order as they call it and it seems like they've kind of legislated that out of the of the school experience a little bit <laughs> i like that I, I'm, I, I actually, I'm like, I, I'm shocked because now this is probably a bad example. Um, but I've been doing, uh, IT work in Inglewood school district, okay. right? Inner city stuff. And these little kids kind of like get up in my face, like threatening, like, and you know, like say stuff. You know, like, who are you? Why are you here? You know, like kindergartners. And I'm like, you know, I'm a grown adult. I'm not going to do anything, right? But that's bad. If they did that to a slightly older kid, they should already know that they shouldn't do that. Right. Right? And they don't. And that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to do about it. I just see it and I go, ooh, bad. That kid's going to have an awakening, you know, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Yep. Yeah, and earlier on, the better, because they're right. usually smaller learning lessons rather than the big ones. It's yeah. not like you've lost your job and your house. It's right. more like, yeah, maybe you got a skin knee or a little bruise on your arm or something. You had a little <laughs> scuffle in the schoolyard, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. a shoving match or whatever. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, you know, I, whenever whenever people think about or talk about resilience, I think of um, you remember the movie Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. Do you do? Uh, uh, and it was uh, who was that? Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And he was talking to Marines, and the Marines were whining about uh, I don't know whatever Marines whine about, and he's like, <laughs> "You have to improvise, adapt, overcome." <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, right? I just, whenever I'm in that sort of like, I just got knocked down and maybe my lips bloody when I was in the Air Force, then I would hear that voice and I'd be like, grr, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah, right? And it probably makes you stronger and come up with better ideas too. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's not that, that's not the quit moment. And sometimes you maybe, you need to, you know, take a step back and lick your wounds, but you're not, it's not the end of the world. I guess is, right. the, is the lesson, right? Yeah. And, you know, you have to assess, but when you run into your first barrier, I mean, the leaders that I work with, every single one of them without fail, every single one says that they've had these mistakes and failures and they've had yes. to keep trying more and more times. I was at a talk oh, a few weeks ago by a district attorney and she was talking about how many times it took her to get in that office, you know, it was, I think three times. Right. And you sit there and go, wow. I mean, she ran for office three times. A lot of people would just do it once, lose and give up. Right. Right. But she's there now and she's a fantastic woman and very successful. And, but it took her three tries to get it. 
I uh, I met more than one, but one in particular, and he was a colonel in the Air Force, <laughs> and that's a, a a very high achievement rank. Yep. Um, and he put all of his uh, letters of rejection from the <laughs> Air Force Academy on his wall, and they were all framed. That is fantastic. Especially the one that finally said, oh, here's the one that really counts, number seven, or whatever it was. <laughs> I got in. <laughs> wow, what a great lesson right? on the wall there. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the it's almost like you want to wear those failures as a badge of honor, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and that I think is one you learn of the- something. Yeah, and one of the challenges we have is I hear this a lot from people, especially parents, is that we've got Facebook with everyone putting up smiling, happy pictures of things going on without showing the failures. And so we have this very distorted view now of success and and happiness in this world, not seeing what people and all the tries that they had to do to get there. We're just seeing that one picture. Yeah, and it's always the highlight reel that's always everything sunny. Yes. Right. And you never hear about, you know, I really struggled with X today and I feel like crap and I'm going to have some ice cream. (laughs) But But we all have those days too. But we don't put them on social media, apparently. Maybe we need to have another book. (laughs) The shame book. (laughs) The shame book. That would, I think that would do horrible and nobody would ever go on it. <laughs> oh, uh, funny. that's great so let me just ask you this because you know we're talking and uh and i'm you know thinking about doing a new career um do you help folks say like me that are you know close to middle age still I guess? oh yeah okay fact, i work so, with a lot of people who are older right and not necessarily just people trying to figure out first career you know, usually right. get to a point, a lot of people get to a point where they want to make a change or they found, like I did, that it wasn't a good fit. Right. And so I've, I definitely work with people who are in that age range. And the first thing I do typically is help them do an assessment of figuring out what it is they want and not just a topic, but the environment mm-hmm. and uh, the fit, you know, what what it is about a job. I mean, because you can be pretty much almost any expertise, right? IT, and you could work in sales, you can work in, you know, developing things, you can work in fixing things. I mean, you can do all sorts of different things with that. Right. But it, you have to find out what is the right fit. Yeah. And I remember having this chat with my spouse uh, because, you know, she's yelling at me for working for very little money and saying, you should get a job. <laughs> Just like that. Um, and and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to hire some sort of coach. And, and I have to apologize because the dog's next door going crazy. Oh, and there's uh, construction going on next door. So sorry, everybody. It's podcasting. Welcome to my it's world. Podcasting. It, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a studio. It's just my house. Um, <laughs> Speaking of little pay, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we were, um, I was like, I know that I have a ton of skills from, you know, being in the Air Force for 20 years and doing a gajillion different things and, you know, traveling and all this other stuff and dealing with disappointment and getting beat up and failing and coming back and, you know, and what I said was like, I just don't know what I don't know. 
at right now. I'm sure there's like a ton of different jobs that I've never heard of that I would be perfect for. You know, I am so glad that you said this because I actually do work with folks who are retiring from military. I've worked with Navy SEALs. I've worked with people in different branches. And it's so interesting because so many of them don't see the transferable skills that they have right. to different types of civilian jobs. Right. And that's not just true with military people, too. It's people in any area and also yeah. I this moms too like I've been out of the workforce I haven't done anything for 10 years it's like well you probably done a lot in 10 years yeah. you know but yeah. oh my uh, goodness moms yeah. oh sheesh right they, they sell themselves short they get the the prize for selling them short because they're so impressive especially multi-kid moms oh my goodness yep. yeah when I hung out with uh it was me one other dude and then one two three four other women Three of the four were moms, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I was so put in my place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm supposed to be the man, right? One of two men anyway. And I remember we're trying to put together this tent, and uh, and I'm struggling mightily trying to get this stupid thing together, and this mom <laughs> just comes over here and says, get out of the way, snap, snap. And it's done. I'm like, mom power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you know, you know, you just don't have time to put up with my crap. <laughs> <laughs> what are you whining about over there? <clears throat> okay, it's done. You know, they just treat you like a kid. <laughs> oh, that's good. There you go. Yeah, well, that's certainly one thing that's helped me in my life is having a kid and learning how to say no. I'm much better at work in that regard, too, now. <laughs> right, right. Able to say no. So let's talk a little bit more about how, how let's see you help employers deal with the, the millennial generation because that's where we started, but we went off on about a gajillion different tangents. Okay. Um, so what in particular do, are those millennials like looking for, for uh, from leadership? Is it different than what, you know, I remember talking to this about, uh, to another guy and he was like, I, they get, they get kind of antsy with like bosses, Mm -hmm. um, is that, do you find that to be the case? Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably the underlying issue with this big generation clash is a mismatch in expectations. Okay. So let's just take the perspective of the managers and the perspective of the millennials coming in. So the perspective of the managers is typically, I need to get a whole bunch of stuff done. I need someone to do it for me and I need someone who's going to work hard and do a good job and, and. Salute smartly you know, and comply. Well, maybe comply <laughs> a little bit, but also perhaps right. be able to solve problems for me and not uh, take up too much of my time, right? Right, right. Work work independently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got millennial generation. Now, largely, let's take a, a little bit of a step back for a sec. Okay. A lot of the millennials were raised, okay, we're talking more middle class probably, but a sure. lot of them were raised with parents who have put a lot of resources into their education, into their recreation and all the different areas, into and their houses. Extra, extracurriculars. Yep. Right. Yep. And they've also pumped them up with these expectations that, look, you work hard, you get all these good grades, you do all this extracurricular work, and you keep building your resume, and you're going to get this fantastic job. 
Right. You're going to have this career to dream for. And so they've worked. I mean, they've been working since, you know, probably they were still in the womb, you know, getting their <laughs> resumes together. <laughs> right? Listen to this song. It'll make you smart. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, they've right. been in structured activities yeah. and, you know, been doing all these things, the, the internships. and They're just exhausted. Yes, they're exhausted. They get to out of college or school and they finally get to this light at the end of the tunnel, this promised land. And guess what? They're right at the bottom of the ladder. Right. Yeah, of course. Right. right. And well, we all knew that was going to happen, but nobody told right. them. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. They're all being told they're going to, you know, they're very educated. And they are. They're very educated people. Right. They're, and very, they're very capable. Yes. Yeah. And they have all these skills, but yet the managers, they're looking for people who can take a job and run with it. You know, that's right. what they want. And, and the, the helicopter's gone. <laughs> right. And the, what, what did the helicopter do? Like offer too much guidance? Is that is that the idea? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the the helicopters have been protecting, hovering over, mm-hmm. and clearing the path mm-hmm. ahead. Right, uh, right. Clearing all the barriers out of the way. Ah, right. And fighting battles and yes, fighting battles, blaming right. the bad grade on the teacher instead mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. kid who didn't study, you know, yeah. and taking all the blows basically. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and making sure that the kid has a happy environment as seeing all the successes uh, so that their self-esteem is high wow. and getting so the opportunity. So they're really getting that, op- that, that reality check uh, right at that first job. Right. And it's, it's wow. really, it's not fun. That's brutal. It is. It's absolutely brutal. And that's what I also try to tell younger people is like, look, you have to get a real sense. And parents, too, we were talking about the happy face and the Facebook and all that. If you're not role modeling and you're not letting your kids see the challenges that you deal with day to day and the ups and downs you have at work, they're not going to get a clear sense of what to expect when they get there either. Mm, Yeah. It's right. almost like we, we need a boot camp or something. Yeah. <laughs> not an actual boot camp. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But that's they need to be <laughs> they need to be toughened up to a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. In a, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. For their own benefit. And I think right. right. And you get you ask me what millennials want, okay? Mm-hmm. And millennials want the same thing that everybody else wants. They want to lead, you know, happy successful lives. They want to achieve, they want to you know, realize their potentials, but they just want it in different ways and they're accustomed to different things. For example, they're used to people hovering over them and giving them these structured opportunities. And so they're expecting more of that from the managers. More guidance. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're expecting the managers to be there to set things up for them and to be there to give them feedback every step of the way rather than realizing that, no, perhaps they're actually working for the managers. They need to get the work done and deliver products or, you know, projects, whatever it is they have to deliver. And it's nice when the managers give you feedback. Um, But both both sides have to move toward each other to make it work. Right. Obviously. Um, but, uh, when you, it sounds like a new niche for a job, for a job. Yeah. You you, you know, a company could hire like a a millennial interface. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I do just to help educate. That's what I'm talking about. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is really exactly what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. 
because people need to be able to understand each other's perspectives. Right. And it doesn't mean that either one is right or wrong. It just means that they differ and they need to find a way to um, come to some middle ground or, you know, give and take. Yeah, you're still making those cards that help things communicate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's human interactions. Now you're making human interfaces. That's right. (laughs) Instead of those big cards. (laughs) Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. It's cool because it's it's like you knew where you were going before you got there a little bit because, you know, you were building interfaces and that's still what you're doing. Yep. (laughs) It's been a theme of my career. That's right. That's right. That's right. I could talk more about computer geek stuff, but uh, let's say your uh, your URL one more time. Let's see, flexibleworksolutions.com, right? Yep. And your book is called Flying Without a Helicopter. And I can't see the, let's see here. How to, to prepare, prepare young people for work and life. Yay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like two years away from needing glasses, so. Uh, I'm, I'm there. Mine are on. <laughs> <laughs> I just need a little bit more light, but this is, yep. this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Did we cover everything? Did, did, did we leave anything out? Oh, hopefully we left a few things out. Yeah. For next time. I keep a little bit of a mystery going here, but yeah, yeah no, we pretty much covered it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did. And we had a good time doing it. This is, yeah. this is a lot of fun. Um, so if people want to reach out to you, what's your favorite social media? Uh, Is it Twitter? Well, yeah, my Twitter is, I love Twitter and it's at Connell lessons. That's my Twitter handle. Gotcha. That's C O N N E. Wow. Is it L L L L and then lessons lessons. Yeah. That was like, that is three L's in a row. It is. Isn't it? Right, L L L L L L Canel lessons. That's I got it. But see, it's cool that one L's capped, so that that makes it easier. So Canel lessons, and that's on Twitter. And then again, you're at flexibleworksolutions.com. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.